doing this to me. One of Mac's uh, more memorable lines, I think, from the movie. Maybe you've asked yourself that question from time to time. But things seem to be going horribly wrong. I, I, I was at a uh, Gaither concert, I think it was, some 20 years ago over at the Navy Center, and Mark Lowry was there. Y'all know Mark Lowry? Uh, amazingly talented individual, wrote uh, Mary Did You Know, uh, but he's also just hilarious, uh, one of the funniest men I've, uh, I've ever heard. He can just tell a story, and it breaks me up, but he, he, he tells this story, and at the time, I understood it to be a real experience that he had been through. He had just, you know, he's a bit of a, a recluse in his real life, though he's a ups, you know, big performer up front, he kind of... Uh, reclines into the shadows when he's not on stage. And he was living at the time, of all places, on a houseboat. Uh, it was either on a lake in Tennessee or on the Tennessee River, which is so big it might as well be a lake. You know what I'm talking about? And, and he, he was living on this houseboat. And he tells a story that in the middle of the night, usually, you know, it, it was serene and quiet and the gentle sound of lapping water outside, you know. And he would fall asleep with his window open to these nature sounds, you know. It would have been better if it was a tape, but it was live, you know. And he would fall asleep. And he had fallen gently to sleep that night, hadn't, hadn't consulted the weather report whatsoever. And in the middle of the night, he was surprised as he was thrown from his bed in this houseboat. And... He, he looks outside, and the, the wind, the, the, uh, the draperies are swirling like this, and the boat is spinning like this across the lake, just whoo, faster than he, he can even imagine. And he's breathless as he's trying to get his bearings in this houseboat that is now in a full-fledged F4 tornado. And it is flinging him across the waters, up onto the banks and into the trees on the other side. And finally, as soon as it started, it stopped. And the, and the wailing winds just, just die down. And everything in the houseboat starts shaking. And it, the first thing that came to his mind was this. Lord, that would have been a lot more fun if I would known how it was going to turn out. <laughs> Ever had one of those moments in your life, you know? Lord, that would have been a lot more fun if I if I'd known uh, how is it going to turn out. You know, there's life inevitably <coughs> has its storms. You know, we, we've all experienced those things that caught us by surprise. Uh, life has its storms, and from time to time, if you live long enough, you'll know moments. I think everybody knows moments where our boat gets rocked. And in the movie itself, there's one boat-rocking moment that, I, that, that is a, a, a memory for many of us. And Mac, in this moment, has, uh, well, he's, he seems to be leaning in a little bit to trusting God's goodness. He, he's reconsidering that God's purposes may be something that, that he can lean into. He's starting to warm up. God's not exactly who he expected God to be. And 
you can see his heart warming to it. Jesus has just said, you know, I, I got some stuff to, to fix up in the, in, in, the, in the workshop, but as soon as I'm finished there, why don't you join me on the other side of the lake? There's something we need to do over there. Go ahead, use the rowboat, and, and row across, and, and I'll meet you on the other side. And, and Mac has rowed out into the middle of, of the lake, and uh, up until this point, it's been pretty serene. And then, all of a sudden, Things change. I wonder what Mac was feeling when this happened. Mac. Mac, it's okay. Why are you doing this to me? This isn't me. You told me to come out of here. Mac, this is happening inside you. You're letting it consume you. You don't have to. Take a deep breath and listen to my voice. What a moment. What do you think he was feeling in that moment? This is not a rhetorical question. This is an audience participation question. Uh, what, do you, what do you think he was feeling in that moment? Terror? Fear? Betrayal. Abandonment. Alone. Yes. Yeah. Terror. In that moment. And, and, and as, as you watch it play out, you see some of the things that he's thinking in his mind. Remember that flashback to his son uh, trying to revive him and bring him back to life after a other boating accident. Do you remember that? All, all this fear starts to overwhelm him. And, and it's interesting, the dialogue there. His first go-to flinch response is, why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing this to me? Right? And then did you catch the response? You don't, you don't see him, but you hear, hear the voice of Jesus in that moment. And he says, Mac, this isn't me. Mac, this is happening inside you. You're letting it consume you. But you don't have to. You don't have to. I wonder if it would make a difference for us if in those moments when our boat is getting rocked, if we realize that we had a choice. It's easy to look right past it. It's easy to make yourself out as the helpless victim of your circumstances. But in truth, though we can't always choose what happens to us, we have much more influence over what happens in us. Especially when the atmosphere in us can be connected to a God that's far bigger than our circumstances. God designed humanity. It's clear from the creation story onward, this is the truth of the gospel, that God has designed humanity for a relationship with God's self. He walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. He was their, their companion. Christ wants to recreate that companionship within us by First of all, cleansing us of our sins and making us a, a habitation for His Holy Spirit to live within us. 
He's not interested just in temples made of stone and of mortar. He wants to make of us his temple. He wants to live within us. God calls us into a relationship. And relationships can make a huge difference. I remember when I was a kid, one of my, one of my favorite uh, 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 movies uh, was The Three Musketeers. Did you see that movie? Three Musketeers. There's been all kinds of versions of it. But I, whatever version you've watched, and almost the common thread in all of them is uh, one for all and it's a covenant relationship. These guys have each other's backs. And because they do, because they are so committed to one another, not only do they have skill, you know, as uh, defenders and as musketeers, whatever a musketeer is. I always thought that sounded like a little rodent to me. But anyway, you know, some, uh, not only are, are, are they great fencers or, or, or great defenders of the king and all that kind of stuff, but, but these guys, life is a frolicking fun, right? They, they, they make fun of their opponents, right? You know, they, they, they swing from the chandeliers, also nobly. You know, they, they are just full of life because these guys are all for one and one for all. They have each other's back, right? And so all of their skill is multiplied because in a lot of ways, these guys are fearless. They know they're there for one another. And at the end of the day, when all is one, the swords unite and they, they say, one for all and that's right. What a relationship. What if God had in mind that kind of swashbuckling fun for every one of his children? That we would live for him and he for us in that kind of dynamic relationship that would make of us those who know that their backs <laughs> have quite a bodyguard. What, what, if, what if that is more the life and adventure to which God calls his children. You know, let, let me take it from the fan, down from the fantasy and get real practical for those of us. Uh, Harvard Business School did some real practical studies on what kind of businesses really thrive. And in this study some years ago, that they compared partnerships to single proprietary small businesses. And in that comparison, what they discovered was just because you were a partnership had nothing to do with your business plan more than any other factor in the success of that business was simply the fact that you were a partnership and not a single proprietary. If you were a partnership, you were 80%, 80% more likely to thrive. So why doesn't everybody find a partner? Well, why, why are there still single proprietary, <coughs> whatever that word is, one-man businesses, one-lady businesses? What, why not everybody go get a partner? I mean, that, that seems pretty simple. I, I tried to tell the, the church when they asked me to plant a church, you know, Give me the associate, we'll do it together. I quoted the Harvard Business thing, 80% more likely to thrive. 
Who do you trust? If you don't trust somebody's goodness and somebody's character, if you don't trust that their purposes and your purposes are about the same agenda, if you can't, if you can't sense that congruity and that harmony between you and that person that, that, that you would be in partnership with, chances are it's a no-go. Right? But, but can you see that if you could find a partner that good, whose purposes that much you could trust, the difference that a partnership would make in almost any enterprise. Well, in all those moments that you were wondering if you had thought it through and you, you were consumed with doubt, you'd have a partner saying, no, we've thought this through, and yes, you've answered these questions. Instead of doubt, you'd have determination. Right? Well, in those moments that uh, uh, you had panic, Instead, you would have peace and an unflinching persistence to see things through. And in moments where you were tentative, now you would be tenacious. Your whole posture could change towards the enterprise and how you're investing in it. If you had this kind of partnership, still oftentimes we, we go it alone. In our lives, we go it without God. And, and when we go without God, it's almost as if we're taking on life without the senior partner that God intended to grant us. We're under-resourced. What, what is this boat about? I ask myself, well, what is Max's boat? Well, let me unpack that a little bit for us. What, what if his boat is his means? It's his way to get from where he is to where he thinks he wants to go. It, it is his means. The boat is his buoyancy. You know, it, it's that thing that keeps him from just sinking into the murky depths of who knows what. Right? It's, it's his buoyancy. It's his protection. It's, it's his buffer against sinking. His, his boat is, is his sense of control. He, he is the captain of his own destiny. Boats have handles, and they're called oars. And at least you can think that, that you're, you're, you're in control. You know, but, but then there comes those moments when you realize, right, right? I was preaching one Easter sunrise service in an old church, and and having a, a certain draw towards the dramatic, I, I decided that I would preach in my full black robe, Methodist black robe, and I would put the Boy Scouts of the church to good use. There was this little dinghy out on the, the, the little pond or lake behind our church, and we, we, were, we were going to get in the dinghy and row up to the shores just as the sun was coming up and I would there preach, as Jesus did, from the bow of the boat. And it would be Easter historic epic. You know what I'm talking about? And first of all, we forgot to check that the boat was not nested in a sea of water moccasins. And so when we approached that morning with our flashlights, two Boy Scouts in tow... When we got near the boat and I got in, they first ran the other direction. As the little twigs in the water started moving. 
Well, I first had to coax them into the boat. No, come jump, I'll catch you. They got in the boat eventually. We got out in the middle of, of, the, of the pond. And in the middle of one of my strongest points, I noticed that the world started to work away from me. Apparently, these two jokers had not gotten their rowing merit badge yet, you know? Uh, I've, I've been in those situations where I, I thought I was in control. It ain't so, right? Have you, have you been uh, startled sometimes by, out of your blissful unawareness that that you really are a finite person and that almost everything that we depend on in this world is, is finite and fragile. Our, our means to get from where we are to where we're going, our job, our skills, uh, our intelligence, uh, our buoyancy, those things that we surround ourselves with to, to keep us from seeking our, our friends, our, our, our family, our, our funds, our, our protection. And some of us have very wisely amassed a whole insulary kind of protection around us. We've, we've built a reputation. We've developed a resume. We've, we've done the 401k. We've saved for college. We've done the insurance plan. We, we have a spouse that we can rely on. We have parents that we can lean upon. And yet all those things are fragile in this world. Every one of them. Our control. So often we deceive ourselves to think we're in control. I know that's the, the way we most like to operate. It, it keeps our anxiety levels down. But, but I remember learning very early in life that, that I really was not in control. I was a senior in high school. And, and uh, I tore my ACL. And, and for a, a, a kid, a junior in high school... I guess I thought of myself as invincible up until that moment. Most kids do. That's why some of them never get out of their teenage years, is it? Uh, but I, it, I had never thought I could lose my health. Just had not even come on the radar. I thought, I thought I would always have my strength. I would always have my ability. I would always have my health. I could always have my smarts. I could always have those things that were my sense of, I'm afloat in this life. And then it doesn't take necessarily a storm that strips one of those things from you for you to go into a panic. Right? Didn't take that with math. All Matt had to do was start thinking about it. Thinking about one of those pillars of his security crumbling on him. And he was in full-blown panic attack. You saw it there in the boat. Anybody been there? Anybody know what it is in that moment to all of a sudden realize how vulnerable you really are and how vulnerable you've been. What gives you a sense of security reaffirms that even beyond your relationship to God. Imagine that gone, stripped from you and you're likely to know the same panic that Mac had. Why are you doing this to me? 
Why are you doing this to me? This isn't me, Jesus says. It's, it's happening within you. You're, you're letting it consume you, and you don't have to. You really have a choice. What's your choice? But listen to my voice. Listen to me. I see Jesus going, hey, 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 hey. Look here. Look at my face. I'm not panicked. Look here. Watch me. Watch me. When we do, we can be in touch with something much larger than ourselves. We can't always choose what happens to us, but we have more of a choice than we often realize about what happens in us, especially when we choose to be in a relationship with a God that's bigger than anything in this world we shall ever face. Caleb discovered that in, in Numbers. If you, if you want to look there real quickly with me, it's a, it's a dramatic story of uh, Caleb and Joshua. They, they were two of the 12 spies that Moses sent into the promised land to check it out just before they were going to go in and claim the land that God had supposedly given them. And uh, God had promised them that land and that they all knew it, but the 12 spies went in and they checked out the land. Sure enough, it was awesome, flowing with milk and honey, incredibly fertile, wonderful. But in the land, there were these big dudes, Canaanites, uh, Nephilim, whatever those fellows were, huge. And, and, and they came back and they reported to the crowd what they saw. And Caleb and Joshua were, yes, let's go. God's given it to us. Let's go. And the other ten formed a majority report that was a little more skeptical. And if you read at the end of Numbers chapter 13, you'll actually hear their report to the people where they say, certainly this is an exceedingly prosperous land, but the people who live within it are giants. And we saw them, and they saw us, and when we saw them, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers in their sight. That is exactly what these grown men said. We don't want to go in there. We'll be squash bugs. You know, can you hear it under your shoe? That, that's what they're painting for us here. We saw ourselves as grasshoppers in their side. Joshua and Caleb saw all the same land, saw all the same risk, saw all the same barriers, saw the same giant dudes. And they said, let's go. Let's go. Why such a different report? In Numbers chapter 14, I think it's about verse 13. Is that right? Verse 9. Numbers chapter 14, verse 9. Caleb and Joshua. Uh, honey, you've got it right there? Read it for me. Do you have it? No, she doesn't have it. Uh, do, you, do you have it, brother? Numbers, yeah. 14. Give us a read of that verse there. 14, 9. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Neither fear the Lord. Neither fear the people of the land. For they are bred for us. Through the fence and the shadow of protection is removed from over them. But the Lord is with us. Fear them not. The Lord is with us. Right? Some could only see themselves in the shadow of their obstacles. Caleb and Joshua saw their obstacles in the shadow of their God. Fear and faith. 
displacing one another. It has everything to do with whether or not you can see yourself alone in this situation, or if you know Jesus is going, look right here. Look right here. We can do this. We, it's a we thing. We can do this. You can't see this scene and not see the gospel uh, scene that's so much like it in, in our minds. It's, it's Matthew, recorded in Matthew 14, verse 22. And immediately Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go ahead of him to the other side. Sounds like almost the scene in, in the shack. While he sent the multitudes away, he just fed the 5,000. He was sending them away. And after... Uh, he had sent the multitudes away. He went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone, Jesus. But the boat was already uh, many stadia, football fields, out in the lake, away from the land. But battered by the waves, for the winds were contrary. Over there in, in, in the Sea of Galilee, uh, it's, it's surrounded by mountains, but there, there are mountain passes going over the lake, and the winds can form like a wind tunnel, and in a matter of moments, it can go from uh, crystal glass sea to tumultuous white caps and waves, just, just like that. And apparently, this was one of those windswept evenings in the fourth watch of the night. That would have been between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., so they've been at this a while, maybe six hours in the dark trying to row. He, he came to them, Jesus, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, It's a ghost. <laughs> of course, something walking on water. This is new. And, and they cried out for fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it's I. Do not be afraid. Don't be afraid, right? And, and Peter answered him and said, Now this is crazy. This is crazy. Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately, notice the urgency of that. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt and when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat, I wonder why it says, and those who were still in the boat, worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. Now this is what is unusual. This, this is what I, I saw for the first time about this, this little story uh, that really quite shocks me. Okay, if you're if you're in a at a storm and it's it's rocking the boat and you're afraid it's going to sink and you're fearing for your life and this ghost-like figure comes walking to you over the water, what is going to be your first request? Hey Jesus, can you turn the wind down a bit? Wouldn't that would anybody else go there, or is it just me? This, this, is, this, is, this is a difficult situation. There's no way I have the finances. God, what would you provide the finances? 
Lord, Lord, I need this job and I, and I don't have a lead. Would you provide the lead? I would have had a list of things. The last of which would have been, hey Jesus, that looks fun. Call to me and I'll walk on the water with you in the midst of this storm. That is nuts. Why, why, well, where is his mind? In order, I think that as soon as Peter locked eyes with Jesus because he was already in a relationship with him, because he had been in a relationship, as soon as he saw and he knew it was Jesus, it didn't matter what was happening around him. Call. Came over. And from the call, Peter was interested in the next adventure. That's amazing. That is a promise. Call me out on the waters, Lord God. Call me to where you are. Call me into what you're doing. I, I, I long for more than just calm from the storms. I want to walk with you on the waters. I want to be a part of calming this world. I, I want to see you in some miraculous way using even my ordinary life in your extraordinary ways. God, call me from the call to join you in this world's chaos. That, that, that is a different kind of request. And that is a different kind of confidence with God. I, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if, if, if you're in a storm and you just want to call out to a God who would say, just call out His name. And as soon as, as, soon as uh, Peter was sinking, Jesus, help me, I'm sinking. He took his eyes off of Jesus and started focusing on those circumstances, those threatening circumstances, and all of a sudden, faith turned to fear, and he started sinking, and immediately, Jesus grabbed his hand. And I, and I think with a, with a look of, of a big brother chiding, looked into Peter's eyes and said, come on, man, where's your faith? Let's get the boat. Boom, boom, boom. And they, they find themselves back, back in the boat with all the other courageous disciples. Now, not, not everybody has the courage to get out. Not everybody takes God up on those kinds of promises. But I think God offers to all of his children the opportunity to call out to him and to know a calling in him and to walk in that calling, not just in the calm of getting through life, but in a calling of making a difference with him in our own lives and in this world with those around us. I, I, I think God has, a, has an adventure for you. Not just a rescue mission. But I don't know, it might look a little bit like that. What a joy it is to live out our relationships with a God like we have. For perhaps you're sinking this morning, and for you, your next move is simply to cry out. For some of us this morning, we we've been walking in our own strength for a while, and it's like Mac when he came back to the lake and 
thought he was going to walk across to the other side, took about six steps, and all of a sudden he was waist deep. Do you remember that? <laughs> and Jesus is sitting back on the stool saying, it works a little better when we do it together, doesn't it? All of us as Christians know that routine. Where we trust in the Lord and we know He's there, but that ongoing relationship gets a little distant. Every day we're not walking with Him. We start to take on things in our own strength. Before we know it, we're all with so, so, So maybe yours isn't to cry out. Maybe yours is to reach out. To say, God, I want to start walking out every day in consciousness of your promises and of your presence with me. And I want to come to live in that relationship and enjoy that relationship and, and, and depend upon it. And one of the best ways I know to do that is, is to lock eyes with Jesus, to keep your attention on him, but also to listen to his voice. No matter what else is resounding of other voices around you, to listen to his voice. Maybe one of the best ways to listen to his voice is not only to get in that quiet place where you can sense His Spirit impressing itself upon you, but also to listen to His Word echoed in your circumstances. And, and let me suggest two scriptures that are very close together. Whether or not you, you, you are in a crisis needing not to sink, or if you're in the boat wondering if it's your turn to step out. Okay, they're right there close to each other. Philippians 4. The first one's in Philippians 4, 7. And if, I give you Philippians 4.7 just because that means you have a little bit less to memorize and, and giving the brain cells that you have less. You may appreciate some economy of, of memorization there. But uh, Philippians 4.7 reads this, And the peace of God which passes all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. Now that, that maybe... That's not, that's not just saying it's God's peace versus the world's peace. That's true. But it's the peace of God. It, it's the peace that comes when God is on sight and on the scene. It's the peace God's presence gives. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, even when you don't understand, even when you don't see the gaps being filled. That peace is there. And I love the way it's, if you just go back a phrase and read a little bit farther, it, it gets even richer. Go, go up to verse 5, start about halfway through where this sentence starts. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. <laughs> That's a gem. That's a gem. Memorize it so that you can say it back to yourself, so it will walk with you through your day whenever you feel the tide of anxiety coming up or there's a hole that's leaking in your boat. Just speak His Word in your own mind and rest in it. Or, or maybe just a few verses farther, verse 13. Lord, I don't know if I'm up to this. The safety of this boat sure feels good. I don't know if you're calling me across the room to have that conversation or you're calling me into that ministry and whether or not I'm going to lead it. I, I, I don't know what you're asking me to do, but verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Two gate promises. When you trust God's goodness and you trust God's purposes, you can trust God's promises. Is your move one to cry out? 
Is it one to reach out? Or is it one to step out? God, if it's you, call to me. Clarify what it is that you're calling me into. Help me not to back off from this God-seized, God-sized adventure with you. I ran into Steve Ward just before church this morning. He, did, he doesn't know I'm going to talk about it with him right here in, uh, in your presence. I probably should have asked your permission for this. Forgive me later. I hope I'm still your pastor at the end of the day. But, but Steve, Steve uh, I've been amazed at his faith. He, he, he's a very gifted administrator, worked in the corporate world here in town, was very successful, and then he started feeling a calling. And he searched that out, and he found a place where that could be lived out, blows and fishes. And he since left his job in order to be a leader in this ministry, and he, he's, he's using all of his administrative skill to bring to that ministry a, a thrift store, which can actually be so profitable as the profits from that store can go to fund the ministry that has been underfunded, and all those ministries are underfunded and stretched for funds constantly. And a whole shift in that ministry is now coming about because Steve heard a call and he stepped out of the boat. Are you here? Now, God probably does these in little micro steps as you feel it out with Him. I mean, I'm sure Steve would have appreciated it if God, some three or four years ago, would have just laid it out as an agenda, exactly what to do next. Wouldn't that have been easy and fun? But, had that happened, you don't know the joy of walking on the water. You don't know the joy of gripping his hand. You don't know the joy of being in relationship moment by moment as he continues to speak to you and to call you out into something more that you don't know all the answers to. And sometimes I wonder if God isn't enjoying the water walk with Steve even more than he's enjoying the fruits of the ministry that he's blessing. When we get to heaven, we'll ask him about that. I wonder if God's reserved such an adventure for, for each of us. What's your next move? Is it to cry out? Do you want to say yes to a Savior this morning? Is it to reach out? Do you want to say yes to a renewed relationship with this Christ? Or is it to step out? Do you want to say yes to whatever God shows you as that next step to respond to His calling? your boat. You can go on thinking you're in control. But you're not. All of us need to save. All of us will get through that relationship. And all of us that he saved
Lord God, give us the courage, even right now, to trust you. To cry out. To reach out. To step out. Lord, we make this altar this morning, that place where we join you on the waves. We come to connect with you. To commit to you. As you commit yourself to us. Lord, we may have come in here thinking that we were alone. But we have a choice. We can leave here this morning as partners with the Almighty, the living God. Give us wisdom to choose wisely. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we stand and sing this closing song, if you'd like to join this church this morning, if you'd like to give your heart to Christ, know that these altars are open. Just get my attention and we'll make sure the business that God's called you to do will complete. God bless you as you come and as we sing. Lord God, we praise you for this day, for the rest of this day, for the rest of our lives. Ours is one where we can know our hands.